Cyprus. I write this to you because I know that if you can, you'll follow. That whatever happens, you will not abandon us. I write this quickly, while the others pack our camp, so that you know what is happening, so you know what you're facing. We are being taken. Soldiers claiming allegiance to the satrapy of Fertra have found our camp. They're demanding that we travel with them. They mean to take us to their capital, Resip. This is Briston's doing. He followed you to eulogy and gave us to them. He sits now at the shoulder of their emissary, claiming that they will lead us to safety and shelter. They treat him like a treasured elder. He is twice veiled to their trickery. We cannot resist them, so we follow. Us and the parish once more bound together. Once we're in Recip, Vilta means to petition the thrice-hung prince. I fear that will fail and will need your help. They say that to live in the satrapy is to become like a shrub. Unheeded roots will grow out from the soles of your feet, to become choked by that land's clay. That a person attempting to free themselves must drag behind them vast clods of earth, till the clay dries and the roots wilt. I dread that we, so used to light feet, will lack the strength to lift them. Do not strike before Recip. There are too many of them, and too well armed. Nilcat was lucky to only end up with a pair of black eyes for refusing them. They have cruelty in them, these soldiers. The two that you sent from Eulogy are with us, Obil and Tilla. I often shoo the soldiers brought to us in chains, Belka, Kalan, Venz and Charla. I hope they're with you. I know you won't like it, but I'll leave this message with Corin. He says that you told him to stay, to hide if anything happens. There's a tree hollow. I've told him to hide in there. If you don't show, I've told him to catch us up. Please, be safe. Jeddah. Welcome to These Flimsy Rituals, an actual play podcast focused on telling small stories in big worlds. I'm your host, Adam Dixon. Today we're doing things a little bit differently. Because our finale episodes were spread across four different characters and locations and episodes, we wanted to put something together to tie things up. I'm going to be sharing a few different short pieces of narrative from our world, and hopefully they'll pull everything together and give you a sense of where everyone is at the end of this arc. Before I read the next piece, I wanted to announce and share a few production updates. The first thing is that we're going to be doing a Q&A this Tuesday, the 11th of February. We're going to aim to stream it live starting around 9pm GMT. We've already had a load of questions through Twitter and Discord, but we'll hopefully be answering some asked by viewers too. So if you're free, it'd be lovely to have you along. We'll also be recording it to put it out on our feed in the next couple of weeks, so if you can't make it, it will be available and we'll, we will be sharing it with you. I also wanted to talk about the feed generally over the next month or so, so before we launch our next season, Embrace, our second season, we're going to be taking a little break. We want to make sure that we've got the time to get the editing right, to write the intro stories, and to give ourselves a head start on the season. What that means is we'll probably be sharing a few episodes like this one, we'll be sharing the Q&A, and we've also recorded another one of our Shards and Fragments episodes in which we played History is Gone, but we remember. 
So we won't be totally radio silent, we might just be a little bit less active than normal. We're aiming to launch Season 2 around the end of March, early April. If you missed the announcement about what our second season is going to be, what Embrace is going to be, then I'll quickly go over it now. But we'll be sharing some trailers, some teasers, some information before we launch into that, and we'll be starting with two worldbuilding episodes as well. But essentially, we're going to be playing a game of Blades in the Dark, which is by John Harper. We're going to be using it to tell a story about a group of radicals trying to change a corrupt city. It's set in the same world as Tiding, but around 25 years earlier. It's got a few overlaps, but not many, so it's designed so that if you haven't listened to Tiding, you can come in and it'll be fresh and there'll be nothing you need to know up front. But if you have listened to Tiding, and if you're listening to this episode, you probably have, there'll be some little bits that will overlap in interesting ways. We've played about half a dozen sessions so far, and it's been a lot of fun. I'm having to like bite my tongue to avoid revealing too much about it, but we'll be sharing stuff soon, and I can't wait. Before we launch into the next story, I just wanted to take a moment to thank the people involved in this first season, because I couldn't have put this thing together without them. They are Fryn Henderson, who is at Feyrin on Twitter, who as well as being part of the cast as Belka, carries the bulk of the production work on their mighty shoulders as well as the rest of the cast. So Steve Martin, who is purple underscore Steve on Twitter, Ryan Evans, who is at Brain X-Ray on Twitter, and Elizabeth Simones, who is at Seasilf Games on Twitter. They are continuously so much fun to play with, and when we're putting this thing together, I'm very glad that these were the people that we found, and these are this is the group that formed. And each of them individually is a huge part of why Tiding is the story that it is. Tabletop roleplaying is a weird thing because, as the fates, I have some kind of notion of how things might play out or where things might go, and then each of the players comes along and does something really interesting and it shunts the story in a direction that I couldn't have imagined that's much better and much more fascinating and leads to some really great moments of play. You should also go and check out Alyssa Chan, who is at 4Myths on Twitter, and Beck Mihalek, who is r underscore Mihalek on Twitter, who did the amazing cover art for our two arcs. Beck also played in our Shards and Fragments Earlift game, which might have been the most fun I've had recording this show. It definitely went some interesting places, so if you've not listened to that, do go listen to it. It's a little bit earlier, and because we're two guests, the audio quality isn't quite as good as these later episodes, but conceptually it's it's great and a big part of that is also because of the incredible Nate Crowley who is Frog Crowley on Twitter who was the other guest in that game. Lastly, and then I'll start reading stories again, I just wanted to thank everyone who has listened to this season so far. Knowing that there's a group of people out there that listen to what we do is kind of wild and I just wanted to say thank you for coming along to the journey, for all of your feedback, for just listening to a show and enjoying the work that we do. It's it's really nice. As always, you can follow the show on Twitter at Flimsy Rituals, you can visit our website at flimsyrituals.com, and you can come and chat to us on Discord by following the link in our pinned tweet. Thank you. The Counterfeit God A History of Corpus by Avon Fur Verunt. Many scholars of the events of 726 would lazily claim that 
Doya was Corpus's second or third victim. They are, of course, wrong. I would instead posit that Doya should be considered at the very least as the fourth victim, but more correctly, as its fifth. Our first consideration should be that Echo, shackled by provenance and the entwined form whose death brought Corpus to life. There are many guesses to the identity of this remnant, but the most likely one is Chanel, of naive curiosity and blind fortune. A god captured by a simple iron cage and brought a thousand miles doubtwards to face its end. Then there was slumber, little known and little remembered, a cluster of bioluminescence nestled beneath Karn Veskel. Confused by its drain, Corpus lashed out. Like a cuckoo, it smashed the other eggs in its nest. Third was Strail, the restless rhythm, the ceaseless dance of sleet and gale. Lured beneath Karn Veskel by Charla, it found itself a rabbit in a fox's den. It survived but barely. Much of what it shed to escape, Corpus took for itself. Sharrow was the next. Bored of its birthplace, of its cave beneath the mountain, Corpus spread. The great storm that formed Strail's wake was its vector. The Sharrow became its, both the land and the remnant. Like a jackal, Corpus seized the Sharrow's great carcass. It took control of the god whose fate should have been its own. Corpus was now vacant and echo both. Not remnant, but advent. Doya then was the fifth. From atop Khan Veskel's twin, that great mist of sharp sorrow and fogged memory watched as its kin met their ends. It had time to prepare, and unlike the others, it knew death. As the Eater of Gods approached, it set out its last will and testament, and Corpus would be struck from it. Khan Vers was its bastion. From that broken mountain, it directed its last servants. Those who could rushed to the borders, carrying Senya's secrets with them. Those that were left behind, Grafan buried, so deep as to never be disinterred. Its great livery was unwritten, given to Belka, the only person used to carrying such sorrow. Its buildings were torn down, gravestones shattered, etchings uncarved themselves. One by one, its envoys once more became a part of Doya. Then, when it knew it could hold Corpus back no longer, it brought about its own end. Keen, once a priest of a ghostly moon, saw to both of their unravelings. As always, there were things that could not be hidden, powers that could not be revoked, but most was kept out of Corpus's grasp. Where then did Senya's fall leave our protagonists? They were scattered, 
for the moment chained to different paths. Frustrated by the adults around her and their lack of answers to her strange connection to Strail, Chala had decided to strike out on her own. She headed north along the grain road into Irrevance, seeking to find her own answers. She had found a new fellowship. Strail, that forlorn god, its envoy Gisela, its two revenants, Savelle and Venren, and Callan, a hunter who had once been lost in Strail's storm and was determined to lead Charla out through it. Though it wasn't their main intention, Belka followed Charla into that smur slick forest. Despite carrying the weight of Eulogy's memories, they hurried towards certainty. Anger drove them, and fear for the actions of their former companions. They meant to follow that long road back to Ertal, and have their inevitable confrontation with the hearts. Villainous forces had caught up with Vilta and her parish. The soldiers of the Satrapy of Fertra were marching them to Recep, their capital. In honeyed words, they promised them homes and safety. But Vilta, used to tyrannical captors, knew that there was no safety from what was to come. They had her captured, but in Senya she had been resting. She was now awake, and in Recep, she would show the satrapy the folly of disrupting her path and parish. Briss and Venz too would soon be in Recep. My sources lead me to believe that they evaded the soldiers that would capture their caravan. They followed their companions at a distance, every step making plans to aid their escape. They would travel with a third unlikely companion, Raoul Estvelren, the defender of Caroline, one of the tenders of the Dawn's Embers. Our protagonists were split, but they were chained to the same purpose, and in time each would play their role in halting the machinations of the rebirthed provenance and their weapon, Corpus. Little brother, I am here now amongst those that Vens would corrupt. They have taken me as one of their own. I will protect these naive villagers from his dark intentions. Whatever it takes, I will prevent him from his unravelling. Yours in faithful service, Rugate Ullen Bacal. <laughs>